Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. It's such a joy to be here and gather as one church. It's, a, it's an honor to be able to have the privilege to, to bring God's word. A lot of strange things have happened. Uh, a lot of crazy things have happened over the last three years. A lot. Like this weekend, like Taylor Swift released her new album. It's crazy. I, I, I told my daughter, I was like, I might could introduce like a song and use it in my sermon. She's like, dad, she's 13. She's like, don't do that. You're not a verified Swifty. You can't do that. You're like, okay, fine. So I figured I would start off with a different album, uh, one that I've been processing a lot. Uh, something that's been in my head a lot is Kendrick Lamar's album, released in May, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Kendrick Lamar, if you don't know him, you don't have to know rap to understand this illustration. He won a Pulpitzer Prize for a rap album. Like, that's a big deal. Um, and I tread lightly when I'm talking about rap because um, I don't know if I'm going to get any emails like from anybody who has teenagers in the room. Like, you recommend it. It's an explicit album. I can't recommend it in church. But if you, like, really love rap, like, all of you, I listen to all the rap. Like, I recommend it. But in the very first song of United Grief, it starts off very hauntingly. And it says, I hope you find some peace of mind in this lifetime. And his partner, his wife comes on the scene and says, tell them, tell them the truth. And, it's, and then it says, I hope you find some peace of mind. I hope you find some peace of mind in this lifetime. And then she says, tell them. And then he goes into it. He goes into the album basically uh, releasing the stigma of doing therapy as a black man, uh, releasing the stigma of doing the interior work that it takes. Basically, it's, a, it's a, almost a therapy album, seeing the psyche of Kendrick uh, unfold. And uh, he says that I couldn't write for two years, that I, I was pressed down, depressed. I, couldn't, I had writer's block for two years until I prayed and asked God to loosen my mouth. Until I, and then at that point, I found the cure. And at the end of the album, he's writing, and he finally lets go of trying to hold everything together. At the officially ending, he screams, I set free all of your abusers. This is transformation. And then his wife speaks again. So he's being freed from his demons, his addictions. His wife comes in and sings. He says, you did it. I'm proud of you. You broke the generational curse. And then she says, say, thank you, dad. And her little, the little boy, the little baby comes in and says, thank you, dad. Thank you, mom, because she was also a part of the work. And I cry every moment of that part of the album. I cry. It's a dark album. Just like dealing with your pain is dark. Just like dealing with the last three years has been dark. We've been through a lot. And I think the resonance of this album is because it, it gives words, even though this is his unique experience, it gives rise and words to everything going inside of us that we've been closed off for so long. I mean, who could have imagined all that we've gone through? Who could have imagined the pandemic that would make this turn into a recording studio in which the pastors recorded a sermon on Thursday and you watched it on Sunday? I mean, who could have imagined taking orange juice and crackers out of your fridge for communion, Right? Who could have imagined a pandemic that would just wreck our country? Nobody could have imagined this. I mean, who could have imagined a racial reckoning that was launched and star catapulted by the murder of 
of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and so many more. We couldn't have imagined on January 6th that there would have been an attempt to overthrow the White House. We couldn't have imagined on July 4th in our very own hometown, Highland Park, that there would be a shooting, that there would be a shooting in Buffalo, that there would be countless shootings. A lot of strange and dark things have happened since we've gathered. And who could have imagined that the FBI would have to name domestic terrorism as a threat to our country of hate groups. So I feel like there's a sense now, though, where we are physically opened. We are all being, you know, back to normal. We're running. Marathon. Yes. You see people running on the lake again. Wow. People are going crazy. Let's get out. Everything's back open. I got on a plane and there was no mask. I was like, wow, this is, this is different. We feel physically open, but I think socially, emotionally, spiritually, there's still a lingering effect. Adam Grant, psychologist, I think coined the term last year, languishing. The sense of uh, he did, people who have this experience of languishing that is still rampant today, some words that describe it are depression, emerging from everything. People are stuck. Symptoms to be caught in languishing, they're feeling disconnected in areas of society. Friendship, uh, groups, uh, churches, being irritable. Anybody irritable lately? Difficulty focusing, yes and amen. Sign me up, I'm the first among equals. Cynicism, procrastination, emptiness, existential crisis, quarter-life crisis, middle-life crisis, name your crisis. We've all have experienced some dark and strange things. And maybe by the incredible providence of God, we can get some wisdom from the New Testament of a healing that Jesus does that I wanna show us. This passage that was read of Mark 7 of this blind and mute man being healed. So I just wanna go into the passage. I wanna share a little bit about um, the, this, this challenge and I wanna just press into this need to be opened. Kind of the, if I had to put a title, it would be be opened. This need of like where we've been shut down physically, but we've still are shut down emotionally, spiritually. What does it look like to press into spiritual healing, to still believe transformation can happen in our life, to still believe that we have a purpose we have meaning that so many of us have had friends or someone we know either attempt suicide or commit suicide, that we can know that we still can be transformed and experience healing. Francis McNaught wrote a book on healing years ago called The Nearly Perfect Crime. And he talks about how this concept of healing, he talks about Jesus healed and he taught, he taught and he healed, he healed and he taught. And he says the church has took away the language of healing so much out of the church. We're afraid of healing. I don't know if you ever noticed that. You got to pray for somebody on healing on the street. They're like, yes, Jesus, please give me some healing. You, you like, let's pray for healing right now in the church. You're like, whoa, I don't know. I'm a little skeptical. We get, we, we, we've almost taken healing out. And I don't, it, it, we remove that aspect of Jesus's ministry, but all of the spiritual work is healing. And the only prerequisite God requires for healing is I'm open. I'm opened. And so I'm praying that you would be opened today. Um, so let's get into it. Mark 7, the context, Jesus is healing. Big crowds are coming to Jesus. As the passage read, he does all things well. And people are being threatened by Jesus' ministry. The religious establishment of the day 
and power broker brokers who ostracize people on the margins and stay in power by doing so are very threatened when Jesus gets after the last and the least and the lost, the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the marginalized and the socially produced others that we've produced, that they produced. The religious establishment gets very threatened when they get a front row seat to the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is healing, doing ministry, giving them this front row seat. Howard Thurman says this. He says, it cannot be denied that too often the weight of the Christian movement has been on the side of the strong and the powerful and against the weak and oppressed. This, despite the gospel. And so perhaps I'm using my sanctified imagination here, but the religious establishment perhaps is taking this deaf man in front of Jesus and they're using him as a prop to, to taunt Jesus to do a healing because surely the son of God can't heal someone that is deaf and mute. Otherwise, that would fulfill Isaiah 35, which was a prophecy saying that the land that was barren will become fruitful. The land that was destroyed will become rebuilt and that all those who are lame, the lame will be healed and the deaf will, will hear. So surely the son of God couldn't do this miracle because John the Baptist, by the way, was just beheaded and said, Jesus, are you the Messiah or should we look for another? Because I don't see the things that back there happening. So I'm not believing, I'm really doubting that what I was taught is true. And so Jesus ministers to this man who's deaf and blind, uh, deaf and mute. And this preparing for this passage has given me I've been wrecked and given me a newfound hearing for the deaf community. Did you know that Aristotle wrote that anyone who is deaf, just a little history of how deaf people have been marginalized, a deaf person is considered a barbarian and not capable of education. In the dark ages, many of them were committed to asylums. They would have been told that they were demon-possessed. In the Middle Ages, the church deemed them that they could not be saved because they could not hear the word of God. Therefore, they could not be born again. Sound familiar? Anybody who studied the Antebellum South? You may be surprised to know this, that there was a time in our history when the American Sign Language was deemed not to do more harm than good and was left out of schools for 100 years up until 1960. So this this all roots back to this time when, as I researched this, the deaf community, when they were born, they would often been left to die out in the wilderness, left for the jackals to eat them. They couldn't, if they lived, they had to make a living by stealing food. Um, that's the only way they could survive they, or have any kind of interaction. They would have this oldie moldy theology that said that they were blind because either their parents sinned or they sinned, and that's the reason they were blind. And so imagine this, big crowds are coming to hear Jesus, and everybody's out of their homes. And one commentary says that perhaps the stealing is getting really good, and perhaps the people begin to drag this man up to Jesus to taunt Jesus, drags him before Jesus, and guess who would have been the last person to know what was going on? The deaf man, because they're always the last to hear. And so this man doesn't know what's going on. He's either going to be um, spit at, mocked, made fun of, perhaps even killed. And he doesn't know what, who Jesus is or what he's going to do. And what is Jesus' response? He's, Jesus is going to do 11 things, and nine of them don't involve any words. 
Two are things that I'll hear. But first, Jesus will pull the man aside privately, which isn't that interesting, church. So much of our public postings outstrips and outweighs our private devotion. Jesus pulls him aside privately. He takes him. He looks at him in the eyes. He looks up at him. He touches his ears. He touches his mouth, the two wounded and broken places in his body. He looks up to heaven, lifts his head, and looks up with him. And he begins to say in an ancient language, Ephatha. Before that, he sighs empathetically because this man can't hear anything first. The sigh is the same word Paul used in Romans 8 that says that the spirit groans within us with words that we don't know how to understand. One commentary points out that Mark may be making a, an, a leap to point to the cross where Jesus sighed, it is finished. Uh-oh, Jesus is giving the man on the margins an advanced degree in the kingdom of God, sitting right down in his lap saying, it is finished, this work is done, paid for, all of your shame, get rid of the shame, get rid of the guilt, I'm here. Jesus is just practicing, he's just warming up. And he looks up and sighs and says, Ephatha, which is this Aramaic word. Aramaic words were usually used for emphasis, like Taliakum, rise. Ali, Ali, Lama Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says, Ephatha, be opened. And then he says to the crowd, don't give anybody, don't, don't anybody go tell anybody about this. Why? Because I want to give this man the dignity to use his voice to tell his story and to others who've been broken so that he can be healed in a wounded healer. So not only does Jesus allow him to hear, he gives him the gift of language. And I don't know about you, but my heart for Missio Day and all of our congregations is that people would come in our doors and Jesus would be the lifter of their heads. He'd look them straight in the eye. He'd touch your wounds. He would touch your ears. He would touch your mouth, the broken places in your body, and he would look at you and say, it is finished. Get rid of the shame. Get rid of the guilt. He would say, I've put the spirit in you to groan with words that have meaning deeper than you could ever groan or understand. I know your pain. I know what you've been through. Creation groans with you. The spirit of God groans with you. You don't even have to say a word. And he would do a massive healing in your life. And he's going to whisper in some ancient language, Ephatha, be opened. And he's going to open your eyes. He's going to open your mouth and your ears and your heart and hopefully your hands in service because after you've been healed, you can't help but be a healer. You can't help but be a healer. Walter Wagner Jr. said this, I did not ask the wounded man how he felt. I, I myself became the wounded man. I myself became the wounded man. Uh, I was talking to my mom, which you're supposed to do. You're welcome. Uh, I had a trip to Yosemite and with my brothers and my mom and took her for a hiking trip. And my mom can talk and share a lot of stories growing up. So you begin to ask questions. Well, who am I? What are those stories we always tell? Why do we tell those stories? Is that really who I was back then? I don't know if you've ever been there. And I remember preparing for this passage. So I asked her, I said, mom, didn't I have like a hearing problem when I was a child? She's like, well, I don't know about them, but as a teenager, yeah, you had a very big hearing problem. <laughs> She's like, at one time, you almost burned the house down when you were six, playing with matches in the backyard. 
So when you were eight, you got on the riding lawnmower and drove it into your brother's car. I was like, Mom, I'm not talking about then. I'm talking about like when I was really little, you know. And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, um, you used to have a lot of pain in your ears. You know, you, you would cry. You would, you would you'd have this pain. Sometimes we, we, you, there was some hard of hearing or you'd speak really loud or talk really loud. And, uh, you know, there would be times when you would cry yourself to sleep, you know, or would cry and I'd come and get in the bed with you. And uh, she said, you know, we, we'd put tubes in your ears. We finally, we tried that a couple of times. They would fall out or we'd have to do it again. And uh, eventually that got better. And I also remembered at that time that I, when I was younger, I had a speech impediment, that I had a stuttering issue that I remember um, feeling, you know, kind of made fun of as a kid for not being able to get out my words and, and, and be able to talk. And... Um, and thinking about how that might have been connected. And I believe, obviously, through doctor's wisdom and other things, I was healed. But also, more than that, God began to do a spiritual awakening in my ears to hear the gospel as a kid. And she didn't know this, but her talking about lying in my bed triggered another memory of mine in which I was just recently talking to my counselor about because we were talking about the first time I noticed shame in my life. And I remember... um, I remember crying in my bed at night, singing, yes, no one loves me. I know it's sad, right? Yes, no one loves me. Super sad. And, and I'm not trying to like get, get you all emotional, but it was just this moment where I was thinking about this passage, and if I become the wounded man, what is my wound? And just this secret source of shame that would drive my need to prove myself, my need to, to overcome, my need to achieve. And... Um, but God began to do a healing work in my, in my heart and, and, and hearing the gospel. And I wonder sometimes that, and fast forward to today, if the reason we have such a hard time with a speech impediment of getting God's goodness out to the world is because we have a hard time hearing. We have a hard time hearing. If we would just only hear the voice of God, right? If we would hear his presence, hear his word, spend time with him be transformed, then we could loosen our mouth like Kendrick Lamar and proclaim a message to the world, God's goodness, amen? That Missio Day would be a place not filled with cynicism and intellectual foeism, and, and all, but we would be open children of God to be able to be teachable and humble, willing to receive. That instead of a world filled with cynicism, we would be open to be enthusiastic again, does anybody just want to be enthusiastic again? Like, does anybody feel like their beauty has been dulled a little bit by the world? And you're like, come on, I want to be opened. And there's part of you that's like, no, 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 no. You can't be opened. You're that, no, no, no. There's just this, this voice that's like, no, you can't do that. And pull you back into this place of shame or this place of press down or anxiety. <laughs> and then, and God's saying, I just want you to be opened. Um, I want to introduce to you someone who really changed my life. Uh, when I went to seminary, I went to seminary thinking I would maybe be a college professor or a, sem- a seminary professor one day, maybe a pastor, but the pastors weirded me out. They always had weird suits and they never sinned. Like the only sin they ever did was like go over the speed limit. I was like, I don't, really, I don't know, man. Those some weird pastors are weird people, man. I'm just telling you, you got to have an ego to get up here and speak for God uh, publicly. It's like a weird dynamic, okay? Just telling you. Every week, I'm like, I'm going to get up, and they're going to listen to me talk about God. And I just... So anyway, I wasn't so sure, and 
I went into this professor's room, Dr. Robert Smith Jr. This is me and him when he came to preach at Missio Day Lincoln Square. And he changed my life. So I decided to go into college ministry. I started a college ministry. And I remember the first day I walked into that man's room. Scotty Smith said it this way. I knew the lyrics of the gospel. I just didn't know the melody. And when he began to preach, a song awakened in my heart. His, it was passionate. It was poetic. It was beautiful. You could ask questions that you couldn't ask in church. And in the black church, you could talk back to the preacher. I was like, I can talk back to the preacher. I can talk in church. This is amazing. And I walked into that man's room, and he prayed with me, and he served me in ways he didn't have to. And I share with that today because I just want to honor him and honor his life. He was a teacher that allowed me to be a student, and he became a father that allowed me to be a son. And I honor him. And I share that because service is the sign language of the saints. That that man served me and opened me up. And if we're going to have our mouths open to Chicago, we must first receive the healing of God internally and be open to his spirit's work right now so that we can then open our mouths, so that we can then be a wounded healer and be healed. There's a gap in Christ, between Christ and Christianity. I don't know if you noticed. Um, The survey done by this group, Ipsos Research, global marketing researching companies, surveyed non-Christians, Christians, Christians, people of various races, people Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, Jewish, Christian, non-affiliated. And the majority of Americans, 84, believe Jesus is an important spiritual figure still relevant for today. Jesus, 84%, that's a big deal. Jesus is in. But how about Christians? Here's a survey of Christians overwhelmingly associated positive characteristics with Christians, but non-Christians' views are less rosy. What characteristics do you associate the Christians in general? Christians, a lot of nice people patting each other on the back for being nice, giving, compassionate, loving, respectful, friendly. But when other religions and non-religious people were asked, hypocritical, judgmental, self-righteous, arrogant, and 59% that believe that racism is intricately a part of the church. So there's a big gap. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here, but whenever there's a problem, there's always a possibility. The good news is, is Jesus tells us how to close the gap. In John 13, he got his disciples together and he washed their feet. And he said, a new commandment I give you. A new commandment, not a new suggestion, not a new opinion. Like Moses coming down, the equivalent of Moses coming down with two tablets. I give you this commandment, love one another. Love. Jesus didn't interview anybody he healed with any kind of questions and prerequisites. He wasn't like, have you ever, is your first marriage annulled? Uh, Did you follow the Ten Commandments? Like, when did you, he didn't ask them, like, what's your sexual orientation? What's the, he didn't get any, Jesus healed anybody who said, I'm open. I'm open. Are you open today? Are you open today? So Jesus closed this gap. He closes the gap through service and through love. And so may we just open our, I'm like, I'm going to close in a minute, I promise. But as we, as we open our ears 
and open our mouth, we begin to have a life of service. Service is the sign language of the saints. Brendan Manning once wrote that uh, there's two ways to enter a room. You can enter a room and say, here I am. Here I am. Right? Most of the world is entering the room going, here I am. Right? All of online energy, here I am. Notice me. Pay attention to me. Like me. Love me. Give me a raise. Promote me. He says there's another way to get into the room and says, there you are. There you are. There you are. Every single one of us are in this room because the God of glory came into your life and looked at you, looked in your eyes, touched your wounds, and said, there you are. There you are. Yeah, you can clap. You can clap. (laughs) (laughs) And so I pray that Missio Day would be a people that leave this place. So you know how secure you have to be in Chicago to walk around being like, there you are? Very secure. And very secure in God's love very secure in what he wants to do. Let's pray. Um, Would you stand? We want to respond in real time. And one way we often do that is just to come forward and receive prayer. You may not have anything you want to pray for. Maybe you just want to just have someone bless you or pray for you. We're going to have prayer leaders to my right over here and to my left. And if... um, just want to name a couple of people. Like if you feel like God's given you an extra level of faith this morning, I want you to come forward and receive prayer. If you feel like God's, some of you have given you a heart of like, like opening your mouth, I want you to come and receive prayer. So let's take a moment to pray. Would you just ask God, God, what do you want me to hear this morning? What had your name on it this morning? What did he get you out of bed this morning to hear? Is there someone you need to look look at that's been overlooked? Is there someone you need to touch that's been untouchable? Is there someone you need to just sigh and say, it is finished, and I am finished ignoring this. That person may be you. You're done ignoring your needs. You're done believing that you're less than or not enough, or that you're just taking up space here. Maybe your neighbor, maybe your family. May the beauty of the gospel come to you and say, there you are. So we're going to sing. Brandon's going to give, lead us in communion. We're going to take communion together. And you're going to have an opportunity to respond. I told Bam, I just wanted him to line everybody up and just touch our ears and say, be healed. Please hear. I just pray for if you need spiritual healing, if you're like internal healing, you need physical healing, come receive prayer. If faith is stirring you, if you have an ailment physically, we want to pray for healing over you. If you just feel like you need to be opened and lifted from this pressed down languishing into flourishing, we want to pray for you. How will you respond? The only response probably unacceptable is to not hear. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. 
Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.